Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today we got a Q&A. I'm riding solo on this one, guys, and uh, we're going to crank through as many questions as possible. But before we jump into this q and I'm going to make all these introductions brief today so we can get right into the meat and potatoes because we got a lot of fucking questions. So I don't know if I'm going to answer them all. But I do want to give a special shout out to our sponsor of these Q&A podcasts, and that is Legion Athletics, the supplement company, the number one supplement company on the market. I don't know if there is an actual statistic or uh, award ceremony to uh, <laughs> give that statement any credit, but I will say that it's a fact. I mean, they go above and beyond when it comes to the research, when it comes to lab testing, when it comes to transparency with what they're putting forward, when it comes to their advisory board and the people and the scientists and the researchers and the people behind them that support them, the athlete sponsored team that I'm a part of. It's just crazy. They really do go above and beyond and the quality is phenomenal. The taste of the whey protein is phenomenal. The the pre-workout is phenomenal. Um, So you can head over to buylegion.com com slash boom boom and you can save 20% off on your first order and then start earning points and let me tell you those points do add up because if you're taking a multivitamin if you're take, drinking a green supplement if you're using whey protein fish oil pre-workout creatine post-workout all those kind of things which most of you guys are if you're using their product which is the best product on the market those points do seriously add up and I'm not kidding I get free shit all the time because of that so uh I ended up giving uh like I Literally, uh, I gifted my father-in-law a bunch of protein the other day. I uh, gifted one of my buddies the nootropics because he's uh, writing a book. I gifted Travis uh, a whole bunch of shit. I got him like a whole... (laughs) <laughs> like the the boom boom starter kit, whey protein, fish oil, the gut supplement, multivitamin, like really just everything. Um, and it's because I rack up points because I use their stuff every month. So guys, I'm, I'm serious. You, you can really get a lot of kickback from them. And again, it's the purest supplements that you can get. They There's no bullshit ingredients involved with this company. And I can't say enough about them um, and about the people personally. I know a lot of them personally, including the owner, Mike Matthews now, and, and just a really good person um, who I've been able to lean on and ask questions and have conversations with over the years. And it's uh, it's been a phenomenal relationship I've been able to build with these guys. So kudos to them. Once once again, the sponsor of this podcast, big shout out, buylegion.com slash boom boom to save 20% and see what I'm consuming from them. Uh, next, we are going to uh, just give a, a quick reminder that this podcast grows if you help me grow it. So we're constantly giving free info and all I need you to do is one quick, simple thing. Any way you want, send this to a friend. Obviously, if you want to leave a five-star rating review, we appreciate that too. The reviews are, are adding up and we love seeing them. Um, And I really do appreciate them and I really do check them. Uh, But if you want to do me a huge favor, send this to a friend. Shoot a text and send them a link to it. You can share it on your Instagram. You can tag me so I can share it on my story. And thank you for listening. You can send it via email, Snapchat, whatever it is you do and how you do it. I don't care. Just share the damn thing. I would appreciate it tremendously. Um, And yeah, without any further ado, let's jump into these questions. We got a whole bunch today, guys. So a lot of fitness and nutrition stuff. Uh, Some from Instagram, some from the private Facebook group, which you can get access to by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. And we've been way more active in lately. Um, And then some from email, which you can also access by clicking the Ask Boom Boom link. You can send us a question or a topic, uh, uh, a category or a topic that you would like us to dive into for the series podcast episodes. Um, All that is in the description of this podcast. Um, Now... Uh, We got two questions from Jen Johnston. So we're going to start here. Uh, And the first one is, what did she say here? Hey, would love to know what type of personality questions you use when signing up uh, a client 
a new client or coach. Uh, so we'd love to know what type of personality questions you use when signing up a new client or coach. I got to like zoom in on this shit. My, this computer is very tiny. Um, I'm not used to reading the questions. Where's Trav when I need him? Um, all right. So basically, what kind of personality questions am I looking at uh, when I sign up somebody for coaching or uh, a new uh, client for coaching, right? Or a new coach to coach with us. Um, man, that's hard. I don't, you know, I don't really know. I don't really have any specific, uh, personality questions. You know, if somebody is, uh, looking to sign up with us, uh, there's far less personality questions because, you know, what I'm trying to do when I'm on the phone with you is I'm trying to read your personality. And so that I can pair you with the best coach on our team. If I'm taking the call, um, if I can try to get a sense of that through your application, I'm going to just, gonna, I might pair you with that person to get on a strategy call with. You might take a call with me because I still do take calls and I don't care if I'm the CEO and I don't care, uh, how many roles I continue to take or what I continue to do. I will always take calls because it teaches me more about the members. It, it lets me interact with people coming on board. And, and I, I have a lot of value in that, or I see a lot of value in that. Um, but I, there's not a lot of personality questions I ask to that person who is potentially signing up for coaching. For the most part, it's just asking about their lifestyle, asking about their struggles, asking about their pain points, trying to get a better understanding of their goals. Um, essentially, I mean, literally, where is this person at? Where do they want to be ultimately? And what's holding them back so I can dive in, understand, educate them, and then help them bridge that gap and show them the path to success, right? So it's not necessarily about personality questions. Now, when we start coaching an individual uh, after they've already signed up and they're with us, then we start to uh, actually have some personality questions. And some of them are random. Some of them are more specific. Um, I'm not going to share all of them in detail because there's quite a few. And there's some that are integrated in the questionnaire, uh, which I don't want to give away necessarily. Uh, and then there's some that are just sporadically given through conversation, right? But at the end of the day, we want to know more about this person. How do they, uh, how do they best accept feedback? How do they feel most appreciated? And uh, what gives them the best sense of fulfillment or reward or success? Um, how can I I encourage those things. Um, I mean, what, what kind of movies do they like? What kind of food do they love? What kind of, uh, do they watch sports? Do they have pets? Like kids, you know, like some of the stuff is just getting to know the person so you can create a relationship and have, uh, less of a gap between you and them. But, um, and the same goes for coaches, right? So with a coach coming on board, uh, there is a little bit more strategy here. Uh, but most of the time, I have multiple calls with a person. They go through the interview. We go through uh, internship, all these things. So I know the person really well before they actually come a, become a coach. Really, I know them pretty well before they even become an intern because usually there's a, a long dialogue between emails or DMs or texts and phone calls and stuff before I even allow them to intern because we want to make sure they're a good fit and their integrity and their core values and those things line up with with mine and the team. And that's, that's kind of what we go over, right? Their core values. Um, a lot of personality questions regarding like their love language, their drive, their motive, again, family, hobbies, who are they as an individual? What do they want out of life? Those kind of things. And just get, get a good sense for them. Um, you know, and I love diversity on my staff. So uh, we, we look for different personalities, people with different upbringings and things like that. So we can have this wide diversity on the team to be able to suit and help people from all over the world with different lifestyles, different upbringings, different personalities, all those kind of things. Um, but a lot of it comes naturally. So I couldn't tell you specific personality questions I have like listed or written necessarily. Um, but they're kind of, uh, discreetly hidden in there for sure. All right. So Jen Johnston had another question. She said, what life advice would you give to a nutrition coach who is doing everything on their own and has a successful business for the past 
few years, but is struggling doing everything on their own from a human interaction standpoint and craving collaboration and more connection in their day-to-day outside of client calls. Everything is remote and I do client check-ins via phone every seven to 10 days. Just recently left coaching CrossFit for six years to give more time to my business. Yeah, I mean, this is where like, it kind of depends, you know, on, on your personality type uh, to kind of piggyback off that last question as well as what you want out of all this, because, you know, there was, there was definitely a, and there's another question in here about being lonely uh, for today's podcast, but there was a, there's, you know, they like the quote, it's lonely at the top is a great quote. And I think it's, I think it's somewhat egotistical to say top. And I think it's more accurate to say it's lonely. Uh, it's lonely when you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> it's lonely when you, you know, cause it's just one of those things where there's, there's, points in your life where your your job and your responsibility is to give 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 and sometimes it's hard because you never get back right now reminding yourself that that's not why you do this in the first place is is the best way to get out of that trap every once in a while you just need you know you need somebody to pour their energy into you because it gets draining but reminding yourself that that's what you get off of you know and that's what you get fulfillment out of is is really the key because eventually you realize that that that's actually well, I should say, if this is the right thing for you, if, if being an entrepreneur is the right thing for you, eventually you realize that that's what you crave, right? So it, it took me to realize, uh, a while to realize, but I started kind of understanding that my, uh, I had this selfish desire to be selfless. And I know that sounds like a, a pretty uh, hypocritical oxymoron, uh, but you know, if we, if we really break that down, it's because I desire being selfless because when I give, I get a lot. Right. And that's a powerful thing to realize because now I'm not giving in order to receive back. I'm giving because it makes me feel good. And now I give more because I realize it's not just about helping people. It's about helping myself because I realize that my fuel is that right. Giving gives me fuel. It makes me grateful for life. It makes me appreciative when I'm appreciated. It makes me grateful when I'm getting gratitude from people. It, it makes me thankful when people are thanking me. It, it makes me feel like I'm getting what I'm giving. So it's, uh, it's something that you got to realize and, and that helps a little bit too. But the other side of this is, you know, if you want to build a team, it, you're on a temporary journey of loneliness, right? So the way I always looked at it, when I had those times of like, man, <laughs> this is crazy. And this is like, I'm struggling because I am doing everything on my own, like you said, and, and from an interaction standpoint, and, and this, you, you mentioned craving collaboration and more connection, I get it. You know, I was working out of my office at home or Starbucks every single day, and then I was training in my garage gym by myself every single day, right? And I still train alone most days now, but there's some days where Travis is filming me, and that's, that's connection. That's a company, you know, that's somebody helping like me feel like I'm not alone. Sometimes his fiance or damn fiance, now his wife, Joe's, she's here lifting. That helps. You know, sometimes my brother-in-law lifts me. That helps. Sometimes my buddy Trav, uh, different Trav lifts me. That helps. So having people around helps. But for a long time, it was just this idea that this would come, you know? So now I can say, I'm sitting here and I I can say like, man, I got myself and nine other coaches. I have our CSO, which I'm about to jump on a podcast with after this. I have my assistant that lives down the street from me that I can talk to whenever I need. I have our operations uh, lady who who helps me with the day-to-day operation systems. I have Trav, the media. Like, so I have these aspects of the team that I'm like, man, I, I can... 
I'm interacting with my team constantly. I'm also interacting with my clients. I'm also interacting with um, followers, listeners, all those kind of things. And it's kind of like what you said from a human interaction standpoint, it's me giving out to all these people, which is usually the case. But there's also my coach who's pouring into me. There's also some of my team who still pours back into me when it when when it's necessary and when they feel like it, which I am extremely grateful for. And then I have people that get to train with me now because my my gym isn't in a little garage; it's in a big facility now. So, the reason I'm I'm saying this is is to impress upon you that this could be the future for you if this is what your journey is is about, right? So, if you have this goal of creating something that ends up being bigger and more than just you, and you have this thing that is eventually going to become a team and a staff and a location, all those things, then it's just patience, right? I know that it's not the easiest thing. It's patience. You know, get a mentor, get a coach, get um, network with some people, find somebody that you can confide in that you can talk to. Of course you should. But at the same time, I do believe that um, it's just, it's just part of the course, right? You just got to get through that period of time until it's big enough to where you can delegate, manage and build a team. And then that, that collaborative effort becomes part of your day to day realistically. And I would also say too, like, shit, I'm, uh, you know, Travis not in the office today and I'm here recording a podcast. I'm all by myself. And, uh, I feel like I'm talking right to you, Jen, like as much of a, uh, I sound like a lunatic. I mean, when you do a podcast, it's like a, it's like a live daily journal. You know, I get to share my thoughts. I get to share my feelings. I get to share my insights. I get to share my information, all the knowledge I try to, uh, you know, consume from outside sources and it acts as a way for me to collaborate and connect with people in a sense. So maybe you need to start a form of content that allows you to express yourself more. So there's a lot of ways around it, but you know, uh, my life advice would be to be patient. Uh, my life advice would be to find a mentor. My life advice would be to, uh, go network with people that are in similar positions because that always helps. Um, all right, next question we got is from Jessica Stahl. Uh, what is the best and worst advice you've ever been given? Who has the has had the most impact on your lives. So this was actually for both of us, but Trav isn't in the office today. So I'm going to, I'm going to run this one solo and maybe we'll, I'll remember to ask him when he gets back. Um, but what is the best and worst advice I've ever been given? Um, that's hard. Um, worst advice I've ever been given. Uh, damn, I probably should have thought about this one a little bit harder. Uh, the worst advice I have ever been given is, uh, damn, this is tough. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly, I mean, that's, that's a deep ass question. What's the best advice I've, you know, like to be completely transparent with you guys, this is, uh, I mean, this is as real and raw as it gets. I think the best and the worst advice I've ever been given has been from the same exact person as my father. Um, this day today my dad is one of my best friends so um you know him and I are very close we're very very similar uh which uh, sometimes I love sometimes I hate <laughs> and I think he could say the same but uh you know I think the best advice he's ever given me I've, I've said this many times on podcasts is trust your gut and follow your heart and I I often say that and it's it's very repeated but I think it's because I've been given it more than once. He was the first person to ever tell it to me and he was the only person to say it in that way, but I've never been steered wrong by following that piece of advice. And I've I've ran into many successful people that live by that code and that have that have um said the same exact thing to me in in a different way, right? And I think that's that's important, you know, and, and it, it ultimately comes down to trusting your gut. There's a voice inside of all of us. Call it the universe. Call it God. Call it your spirit. Call it your being. Call it whatever you want. Call it yourself. Call it your heart. 
it doesn't matter what you call it. There is a voice inside of all of us telling us to do something and it's our conscious, right? Again, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, A big piece of it is our conscious and our conscious is dictating the decisions we make. And it's often that little voice that sometimes is afraid to speak up, but it's the right voice. It's the voice telling us to do the right thing. And it's it's the voice telling us to do what's actually going to make us happy. And oftentimes it's the voice that knows more than you think it would know, right? It knows what you need to do. It knows the path you need to take. It knows the success uh, where success lies and knows the path to get there and knows all these things. And it's, um, it, it's hard to trust it because it's intuition, right? Intuition is behind a lot of the decisions, uh, the most successful people in the world make and the happiest people in the world make. And, uh, it's hard to believe that intuition because there's no hard facts behind it, especially when it's your own gut feeling and intuition, because you don't know why the fuck it's telling you to do this, but you got to do it. Right. And then following your heart means, I mean, what do you want to do? I, I have conversations with people all the time, like wanting to pursue their passion, wanting to have a hard conversation with people, wanting to speak up about what they believe in or whatever it may be. And if you follow your heart, I don't think there's ever going to be any anything wrong with that because you're staying true to yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. So this idea of trusting your gut and following your heart has always been the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. Um, and the worst advice I've ever gotten is also from my father. And, uh, and I think it's just mainly because it's a different day and age, you know, it's a different time. And I can't remember the exact thing he, uh, told me, but I can remember the, the time. And the reason I can't remember the exact thing he told me is because I remember afterwards saying to myself, damn, that was the worst piece of advice I've, <laughs> I've ever heard. Uh, and, and I hope, you know, my family doesn't listen to this and, and take that wrong. Um, which I know they won't cause they, uh, everybody knows like I'm very close to my dad. I love my dad, but it's, uh, I remember him telling me something and it was very, uh, monocular focused. It was very like tunnel vision like, um, and it was very, uh, business heavy. It was, it was something that I could see not being like being something that sounds cool and might work in the present, but not in the long term. and looking at what he's been successful with and what he hasn't been successful with. I think it translated directly to what he hasn't been successful with, if I'm being honest. Um, and, and it kind of just goes, it, it was very aligned with uh, what I would call living the code. And this is exactly why I have this tattoo on my arm that says live the code. Uh, and, it's, and it's on the inside of my arm and on the outside of my arm, I have a skeleton. So I have a skull with a crown and it says live forever above it. And I was actually really cool. I uh, got to see my grandma for the first time in, in probably several months, actually. It's been a while, but um, we had a great conversation. And she was like looking at all my tats she hadn't seen in a while. Um, and she is not, uh, was never a huge fan of tattoos, but you know, she appreciates good artwork now because she is an artist and a calligraphy uh, master and everything. She's actually, without her knowing, designed some of my tattoos. But uh, I was explaining this whole idea about living the code and, and why I have this skull with a crown on it. And it's this idea as, as a man to live as a king. And this doesn't mean, you know, it, it applies to women living as a queen too. And it's, it's just a figure of speech. It's not an egotistical thing. But this idea of living as a king and dying as a king uh, is because uh, the, the kingdom doesn't stand tall without its king or queen in, in the right position, right? So if you're not in control and in power of your kingdom, you're not a king. You don't have the crown on your head. And what this, this tattoo symbolizes is, uh, number one, if your kingdom is standing tall, you still got your crown on your head. You're running the show. You have power. The minute your kingdom crumbles, you no longer have power. And if your kingdom is your life, you want to always control and maintain power over your life, your decisions, your outcomes, your success, your happiness, your thoughts, your gut feelings, your heart, your passion, everything, right? That's your life, your kingdom. You make the rules. And so this idea of, of a skeleton 
uh, with a crown on it is that I'm going to die with my crown on my head, meaning I'm going to control my life and I'm going to keep power over myself until the day I die, which is partly why it says live forever. Part of that is because living forever is leaving a legacy. If I do this right, if I keep my crown on my head, if I stay strong, if I control my life, if I live my life the way I want to live and I have power over it until the day I die, I'm going to leave a legacy behind for my daughter, for her kids, for the kids beyond that. I want people to remember the things I did for them and the, the, the dent I made in the industry of my space. I want to, my family to always remember the impact I had and, and the change I created compared to anybody else in my family. I want, I want that. I want to be remembered for those good things. And so that means leaving a legacy. And that means if you leave a legacy, you truly can live forever. You'll never be forgotten. But it takes making noise. It takes making a difference to be never forgotten. Now, the other part of Live Forever is it's my favorite Oasis song. And I'm, I love Oasis. It's a fucking great band. So <laughs> it's twofold. But this code, live the code, right? So translating that to the kingdom is, is the kingdom has uh, four pillars, right? Uh, just, just common um, structure of a building. I'm sure anybody who's into a building listening might say, well, a six, uh, six pillar structure is actually a more safe structural foundation. And I'm sure it is. But, uh, the point is, is you have four pillars of life. And I've talked about this on the podcast, but for some of you new listeners, um, this comes from a lot of different people. There's many different people who have talked about this, but essentially I learned it originally from wake up warrior, uh, body being balanced business is core four. That's the four pillars. They never called it four pillars. I always have because I like this analogy of um, if the king doesn't have power, the kingdom crumbles. But the only way the king can have power and control and keep that kingdom staying tall is if those four pillars are intact, right? Body being balanced business. In other words, your physical health and well-being, your your being, so body, that's body. Your being is your spirituality, your emotional well-being, your confidence, your mindset, um, everything that has to do with you internally and personally. And then your balance is your family, your relationships, your, 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 uh, your friendships, anybody you have a relationship with. And then your business is, is your business, your career, your finances, what you do as a craft and what you're trying to become a master of. Um, but the problem with this is, is if, you're, if your business is, is falling apart, stress is going to invade these other pillars and you're going to crumble. If your body is, is shit for lack of better terms if you're unhealthy you're, you're eating poorly you're getting sick all the time you're overweight you're not happy with what you see you don't feel energetic you're not going to perform in these other areas that's going to add stress and instability in these other areas and your kingdom's going to crumble if your spirituality is not intact if your emotional well-being is not stable your mental uh, mindset is not strong you will create stress in these other areas, your kingdom will crumble. And last but not least, your balance, your relationships, they invade everything. If your relationships aren't tight, especially if you have a spouse or, or children and there is not a strong foundation there or a strong relationship, your kingdom will crumble. Everything will fall apart. Everything affects everything. You can't just focus on one thing. And so back to this bad piece of advice, it was, it was, not aligned with this thought process, right? It just wasn't, it, it didn't hold true or have much integrity and alignment with this idea of keeping everything intact and focusing on each area of your life, but rather getting tunnel vision on one area and focusing on it so hard that most likely these other areas would get stress created and things would fall apart. And I just, and that was, that was the advice, right? So for me, um, I, I've seen it happen to myself when I neglect one area, the rest falls apart, but this has just been a big thing for me where it's, uh, you know, to keep my kingdom standing tall and keep the crown on my head. Like I got to keep control of all the areas. Otherwise the kingdom crumbles. So that was a long winded answer, but, um, that I think that's my best and worst advice that I can think of. Um, and then who has had the most impact on my lives? I mean, this, this one's hard. I think there's like a few obvious reasons and I'm going to share those. And then I'm going to say something that that's less obvious because I think that it's, uh, it, I mean, at the end of the day, like 
the obvious ones just aren't as exciting of an answer because it's, it's obvious, right? So um, the obvious answers here are uh, pretty simple, and that is going to be uh, my daughter. Uh, when she was born, it was uh, a massive impact on my life, um, and it changed the way I operated in so many ways. It changed the way I, uh, I, I mean, it changed the way I led people. It changed the way I looked at life. It changed the way I had purpose and drive and motivation. It changed my hustle. It changed uh, the way I prioritize things. It changed my integrity as a man. It changed the way I take risks in life and what I take risks on. It changed my heart and uh, it made me a softy. You know, it, it changed a lot for me. Um, so my daughter has obviously had the most impact on my life. My wife has had a huge impact on my life in so many regards. Uh, I mean, she's my companion. She's my best friend. She's my wife. She's my lover. She's my queen. She's, she's my uh, person I vent to. She's my person I ask for advice. She's so much for me. Uh, we're, we, we're homebodies. So, you know, my wife is, is truly my everything and, and she's impacted me tremendously. Both of my parents, I mean, they birthed me, you know, they gave me life. So they raised me. So I can obviously say them, but outside of those obvious answers, um, Andreas Villalba is, is the person that has impacted me the most. I met Andreas about, uh, and we've done a couple podcasts together. So you can always uh, go to the podcast and search Andreas and you'll probably see him pop up or La Tribu, which means the tribe. That's his uh, mentoring accountability group coaching. Uh, um, and that's what I'm a part of. I do private coaching with him. He also personally coaches every single coach on my staff, um, as well as some of the other individuals on my staff. And uh, this is just a way for me to invest in personal development for everybody on my team. Um, and that's been huge benefit to everybody. But essentially, he he is somebody I met almost a decade ago at the gym. I covered a shift for my boss at the time, and he was the person I trained. And uh, I I always joke with him and I say, "You're like the guy from the Dosa Keys commercial because he's he's the most interesting man in the world." And you you learn something different about him every day. Uh, and still to this day, I learn new things about him. He owns multiple. Uh, f- um, orphanages in Mexico that house homeless children. Um, and I mean, everything is done for them. There's, there's literally inside, I believe there's a, a, a like a, a temple, but a temple church, but there's definitely a computer lab, full school, full dorms, full cafeteria, full recess area, full everything. Everything is supplied for them. They, he literally, um, parents, these kids, essentially, um, he owns multiple businesses out here. He's sold and purchased every single one of my homes for me, uh, through his real estate company. And he personally did it for me and with me. Um, and that we're, we currently live in our third home that we've owned. So he's been with us through multiple journeys there. He's, he's been with me through, uh, having my daughter, all those different things. He's, he's mentored me for the last two plus years, personally, one-on-one, um, I just can't say enough about him. He's, he's changed my life in so many ways from my faith and spirituality to my relationship, uh, as a husband, to my parenting as a father, to, uh, my confidence, my self relationship and and my mental state to my business and my outlook on finances and finances, investments and everything. I mean, he's just, it's insane what he's done for me. So he, he has had more impact on me on than anybody uh, else in my life for sure. Uh, and I would highly recommend following him on Instagram. Uh, go check him out. He has a podcast. He, uh, he obviously runs a couple different companies. Um, he actually owns 
a couple handfuls of companies, but a uh, very successful guy, very, very wise person. Um, I cannot say enough about him. I think you'll learn a ton from him just from following him and listening to his podcast. But his Instagram is Andreas V Latribu. So A N D R E S V L A T R I B U. Um, his name is Andreas Valba. You can find him. Uh, I'll probably put a link to that in the description of this podcast, but you can find him on Instagram. I've done podcasts with him. He has his own podcast, a ton of great stuff. And I can't say enough about him um, as a person who has impacted my life. All right. Uh, another one. This is a lot of mindset stuff. Uh, Urtaza Farouk. What advice do you give for dealing with loneliness as an online coach? Um, I, I truly believe that the best way to deal with this is, is the obvious number one network with people. Um, so find other online coaches that you can network with. There's, you know, I mean, you can join coaching groups, you can join Facebook groups, you can join the Tailored Life podcast group, and you can post in the group and say, you know, what other online coaches are in this group? Should I can do that for you if you want me to. Uh, shoot me a message if you don't want to be the one to do it. I'll drop a comment in there. I'll drop a post and see everybody comment in there and see if there's anybody you can relate to, anybody who wants a network. You can talk in the thread. But there's plenty of places you can find and network with people. Um, the other thing I would say is be comfortable being alone. And the reason I say that is because for a long time, I had to get comfortable with that. I talked about that a little bit earlier, and I, and I truly believe that you would be shocked, but, but a lot of clarity and power and purpose is actually found in that lonely space. So if you can get comfortable creating space and being silent, right? Stillness is the key is a great book to check out. But if you can be comfortable in that, if you can be confident in that, if you can learn to reflect and, and take away a lot of insights and lessons from those moments of being lonely, I think you'll grow quite a bit. And, and you know, if you can, if you can accomplish happiness while being lonely, if you can a- achieve not stress and anxiety by being alone, but actually a sense of clarity and purpose and, and, and uh, independent happiness, I think it's a good thing, right? So I challenge you to, instead of looking at it as loneliness, look at it as uh, clarity and space, right? And if you can kind of sit in that clarity and space, I think you might actually see that it could be a really good thing for you, right? But otherwise, go network, go find people, and then start doing stuff with yourself, like journaling, like uh, meditating, like uh, learning something new, reading different books, doing whatever you can. And obviously, as much as you can, go travel. Go travel and network and meet people on the road. That's what I did a lot of when I was first starting out. I was, I was flying out or driving deep to a different seminar every single month, if at the least every other month, but many, many times every year, I would be flying out to Missouri, Florida, uh, Vegas, Cali, Portland. Um, I mean, you name it, I was going somewhere and learning something from somebody. And I was able to meet a lot of cool people along the way. And a lot of times it was in random ass places, Philadelphia, DC, like everywhere. It was just random places, but go network, go fly around, go travel, um, try to meet new people through uh, your space that you're in. And I think you'll be better off. All right, uh, Kathy Cornwell Siley. How can you tell if hip flexors are just tight or actually too weak, or maybe a little bit of both? Um, I would say uh, hip flexors being weak is going to limit your ability to lift. Hip flexors being tight is going to create pain. So um, if you have pain in your low back, if you have pain in the actual hip flexor itself, um, if, it's, if it's causing a lack of mobility, so without load, you can't squat deep because it's just creating excruciating pain. You can barely get in a hip flexor stretch. You got super tight hip flexors, right? Plain and simple. Stretch them, do some ART by uh, active release therapy. So just digging in there with a foam roller, with a lacrosse ball, massage gun, whatever you got to do, your hands, massage therapist hands, do whatever you got to do, but definitely dig in there. And then uh, if that doesn't fix it, if that doesn't help it, you could 
could have weak, weak hip flexors, um, but that's probably not the case, to be honest with you. Usually, it's just tight hip flexors. Um, weak hip flexors, it can be a thing, but um, I'm guessing if you feel your hip flexors at all, they're probably tight because most human beings are sitting all the fucking time. So most people are just super tight because they're constantly in a flex position. So I would venture out to say you have tight hip flexors and not weak hip flexors, and you probably just need some uh, some active release therapy, some digging in there in the tissue quality, and you need to stretch the muscle itself. Um, yeah, that's probably what I would suggest. Now it could be a little bit of both for sure. And, and at the end of the day too, if you have really tight hip flexors that are tight constantly, they're probably weak and that's probably why they're tight. They're not very resilient. So, um, Kathy has a second question and I think it was kind of a joke because she had a laughing emoji with it, but she said, when you record multiple podcasts slash videos or do multiple photo shoots in a day, do you change outfits? So if we're recording videos or podcasts, no, I, I really don't. Uh, just because I don't care. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's content, right? Every once in a while, I'll change my shirt, but it depends where we're filming, you know? So some days we're filming exercise demos, which uh, shameless plug for our YouTube channel. If you guys haven't checked out the tailored trainer YouTube channel, go check it out. I mean, there's literally hundreds of exercise demonstrations and we just keep adding them to um, the, the list. Like we just keep adding them more and more and more in there. Um, there's tons of demos, but um, if we're doing those, I typically don't. I pick an outfit that I'm ready to crank out a bunch with and we just shoot because we'll do 30 plus exercise demonstrations in a single uh, session of filming. And so I'm not going to change that many times. Um, now, if we're doing podcasts, same thing. I'm not going to change because I don't care. Uh, we'll record a couple podcasts, usually just pull clips from it. We're not big on putting the podcast on YouTube. Um, now, if we're doing Instagram videos, um, I might, but typically we, we will do like one or two in a single session. I might not, but I might change my shirt, maybe. Um, not that people care, but, but also to create variation and it'll stand out more because what tends to happen is subconsciously, if people see me wearing the same shirt, they might think they already saw the video. If they didn't see the video, I want to make sure that they realize they didn't see the video because it could be valuable and it could be better than the last one that they did see for them specifically. Now for photo shoots, I don't do multiple photo shoots in a single day. I just do one photo shoot. Um, and we just spend hours together and I definitely change my outfit. Um, I haven't done a quote unquote photo shoot in a long time, to be honest with you, uh, because Travis is an amazing photographer and videographer. Now we, I don't typically have to, we just take pictures really frequently. So, which is nice because beforehand when I didn't have somebody who knew photography so well on staff, it was like, we'd go out to a gym or I'd have him out here and I would change outfits a bunch because I'm, I'm trying to get as many shots as I can of different exercises, different poses, different things to create content that for these ideas I have. Um, but now it's like, I'm training today. Cool. Let's get a few shots and some videos. And then tomorrow, guess what? We're training again and we're getting a few more shots and a few videos. So because we do it so frequently, I typically don't do it anymore. Um, but I am going to start, uh, I'm going to start doing this and I would appreciate if you guys follow me and you guys are into this kind of stuff too, make sure you show these posts some love, give, give my content some likes, turn my post notifications on um, if you don't have them on so, so you can get reminded when I do drop content because obviously I'm trying to constantly educate. But I am going to be putting up some more lifestyle stuff soon. I have some plans, uh, <laughs> some deep rooted plans that I've been thinking about for a long time and I think I'm going to start dropping some hints and I'm going to start uh, creating some things for you guys. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to be completely honest with it. Some like apparel stuff, but, um, I'm going to start playing around with some pretty, pretty dope, uh, tailored shirts and tailored, um, designs and stuff like that, because we're going to be able to do it in house soon. Cause we're expanding. It's just, you know, this winter, this fall and winter is kind of like, uh, getting some more space, getting some equipment, getting some stuff. So I probably will be 
posting some more stuff that is just kind of showing, showcasing fashion, material, apparel, stuff like that. And obviously, if you're into that stuff and you guys want cool stuff to rock, please show it some love so I know um, who's interested and, and who's ready to get the insight on those things. So, um, but yeah, that, that answers that question for all the content creators out there. Uh, Jen Johnston actually dropped another question. She snuck in here. Uh, not sure if you have talked about this before, Cody, but I'd love to hear how a conversation with you has gone with a client you felt needed to be let go or wasn't ready to commit to the process. When do you know it's time to have that conversation without doing it too soon? I have literally only had two clients in my entire life that I had to get rid of. Um, now, I've had clients a few times come to me and say they're not ready for this, and I agreed with them, um, and I was just honest. And I was like, hey, I think maybe you're right. Like, maybe maybe you, we put this on pause, and we revisit this in a few months, and we you know, freeze it, excuse me, put it on pause, and we uh, re-intervene. We, we kind of reconnect in, a, in a, a few months later, and we figure it out from there. But, um, the only two times I've ever had to let go of somebody, uh, one time it was in person and, uh, there was like some hostile environment in the gym between different members, not between me. And I had to let it, them go because of the, that reason I just didn't, I mean, there's hostile environment. This not a place as a positive zone only. And then the other time was somebody had unrealistic expectations, you know, uh, signing up, wanting results, like literally damn near immediately, um, wanting responses so quick that it's like humanly impossible. I could have two clients on my roster and I wouldn't even be able to respond this fast. It was actually, it was almost funny. I remember uh, kind of laughing and being like, holy shit, like they just turned their update in 20 minutes ago and they're messaging me pissed that I haven't responded yet. And I was like, holy shit, I'm a human. I'm not Iron Man. <laughs> you know, this isn't automated. This is personalized. So I can't respond that quick. That's insane. Um, so I remember that, right? And, and we're known for deep conversations and quick response times on my staff, right? Uh, especially all my coaches and everything. So it, it just, it was crazy. But those are only the times I've ever had to let anybody go. And it was, like I said, it was because of hostile environment. And then that was a long time ago. And then this other one was quite a while ago, but it was just a conversation of like, hey, I think you have unrealistic expectations about what, what a coaching relationship is between a personalized coach. You know, if you find somebody in the gym, you're, you're only going to have them in the gym. And if you find somebody online, you're not going to, they don't live with you, you know? So um, but other than that, I haven't had that situation to be honest with you. So my advice for you, um, about a conversation, uh, when you felt a client needed to be let go, that they weren't committed to the process, I would always try to connect with them on a deeper level and try to educate them on how to commit to the process. Because I, I would have you consider this, and this is kind of what I'll, I'll leave you with. And this is a great piece of advice for all coaches and for any person who is a potential client listening to be open with their coach so that they can understand this, but there is no person who doesn't want to be committed. Like, like you mentioned, or isn't ready to commit. It's, it's most people aren't ready to commit, right? Most people are hiring you because they're trying to figure out how to commit. They're trying to figure out how to be consistent. They're trying to figure out how to adhere to the plan. They're trying to figure this whole thing out because they don't get it. They're like, I'm, I'm lost here. I don't fully understand how to commit. I don't fully understand how to change my lifestyle, my habits. I don't fully understand how to get consistent. I don't fully understand how to take action without worrying or fearing failure and all these things. That's what a coach is for. So I'd have you consider that instead of trying to let somebody go because they're not ready to commit to the process, have a deeper conversation with them and tell them you understand and you empathize with them that they aren't ready to commit to the process. And you want to help troubleshoot them on how to become ready and how to become committed to the process. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's what they want right? Nobody thinks health is stupid. Nobody thinks getting lean is, isn't worth it. 
people just don't know how to commit. They don't know how to be consistent. And that's where a coach comes in. They come in to educate them and hold them accountable to be able to do it. Um, all right. Uh, Soph, these are some from Instagram. Soph207, can I still train a muscle group when it's super sore, even if I do different exercises? Um, or sorry, super sore if I do different exercises. Um, Yes and no. So first and foremost, muscles are stupid. They don't necessarily know you're doing a different exercise depending on what you're doing. They will know different resistance. So um, if you go from a split squat to a reverse lunge um, and maybe you go super heavy and then you have a ton of soreness so the next time you go light, they just know it's a little bit less resistance. They also know that they're in a more fatigued state while trying to do it because they're sore from the last time. Um, and depending on the variation of split squat or lunge, you might they might know you're doing a bigger range of motion, right? Or a smaller range of motion. Uh, but muscles are stupid. They know tension and resistance, right? So um, in a sense, it doesn't matter if you change exercise because if you got super sore from squats, but then you do a split squat, your, your body is still feeling you, you doing knee flexion and extension under load, and it's still having to stretch and shorten or contract the quadricep muscle, right? So, eh, can you still train a muscle group if you're super sore? Yes, you can. Would I? Probably not right? There's no reason to. And this is why sometimes full body exercises aren't the best because if you're getting super sore, you're either doing too much volume on one muscle group in that full body session, or you're just repeating that muscle group too soon thereafter. But if you're doing something like an upper lower split um, or a properly programmed full body split, you'll be fine because you might do upper body on Monday and then you won't do it again till Thursday, maybe even Friday, depends on your split. If you're doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, for example, you would have two days between the upper body days. If you were doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you have three full days in between the upper body sessions, right? And then two days over the weekend before you get back to session A. But with that being said, that's ideal. Stimulate the muscle to the maximum. Create that level of uh, stimulus that does create some soreness that you're experiencing and then give it 36 to 72 hours to fully recover and get fresh again before you hammer it uh, to create that soreness again, right? So getting sore isn't a bad thing. It, it, it's not a direct correlator of muscle growth, right? We know that... Uh, you know, two people can see the same amount of muscle growth and one person can get sore and the other one doesn't. And it's just a matter of experience level and muscle damage. So we know that muscle damage doesn't directly correlate that much to muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth or strength or anything like that. But it is a proxy and an indicator that you're doing enough to stimulate that growth. So if you're never getting sore, I would, I would be cautious and concerned that you're not trying hard enough to grow. You're not creating a, a new enough stimulus. You're not creating enough stress, a placed attention placed on the muscle because you never get sore. Um, at the, on the other end of the spectrum, if you do an upper body session on Monday and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'm doing an upper slower split, but I did my Monday session and now I have my next upper session on Thursday and I'm still fucking sore, you just did too much right? If you're a little sore, okay. Week two, not much at all. Week three, you shouldn't be. And then the next block, you shouldn't be sore for that long, right? I still get sore to this day when I switch things up. Um, but after a couple days, I'm, I'm fresh again. And then after a couple weeks of following that split or that amount of volume, I'm, I'm accumulated to it and I don't get super sore. Um, so soreness is good. It is a proxy. It is an indicator that you're doing enough. And I, and I do like to use that as a way to make sure we're doing enough. But if you're sore for lingering days and you have DOMS extensively, uh, you're doing too much volume um, in order for your body to fully recover. And that's an issue right? You're never going to be able to catch up with the recovery curve to be able to see positive benefits or, or progress. Uh, Melissa or Melissa Erz. Yeah. Melissa Erz. Should your biggest meal of the day be the one you eat after lifting? Um, 
No, I mean, yes and no. So I think this is this is like an old school way of thinking where it was kind of like after you train, you deplete muscle glycogen, which you don't deplete as much muscle glycogen as we all once thought you would. Like, I think that was, you know, at one point in time, we thought it was greater than it is. Um, and then also just cause like a general training session doesn't deplete you that much. Um, and then also we thought that there was like this, uh, magical benefit to insulin sensitivity, which there's positives, uh, benefits to insulin sensitivity. Don't get me wrong, especially for health and, and obviously for building muscle too. Uh, but it's also not this window of opportunity to shove as much calories and carbs into your system as you can at a certain point your body, you know, you can't absorb that much. You know, it's, it's kind of like protein, right? There's a, there's a calculation that we can do that says how much protein, um, of a given amount of amino acids and all that, that your body weight and your size can absorb in one sitting going above that doesn't necessarily equal more muscle protein synthesis or more uh, protein absorption. Um, long-term it might because you, in, your intake of protein increased and therefore over the 24 hour period, you have more, uh, you have more protein in your system and you're going to be absorbing more of that protein long-term. Um, but during the session, right? So, uh, you'd probably be better off spreading them out a little bit more. Now, should you have a big meal post-workout? Of course, like it's a good time to have a lot of calories because, um, you can have your normal absorption rate on top of that. You can have a little extra protein carbs because of the training session. Um, at the same token, a pre-workout meal is a great meal to have a lot of, uh, uh, calories in as well. And then last but not least, there's a lot of research on chrononutrition that shows that your biggest meal of the day should be the early one. And if you're training in the afternoon or the evening, you know, that doesn't line up with this idea of eating a lot of calories post-workout. And what they see in research is that if we place a lot of their calories in the morning and then we actually stop eating so late at night, we sleep better, circadian rhythms better, and our metabolism is a little bit faster because your maintenance calories goes up, energy expenditure goes up throughout the day, um, which is, is honestly obvious. It, it, you consume more in the morning, you're going to have literal more, like literally more fuel in your body to perform, to walk, to blink, to talk, to think calories and energy coming in energy balance, right? It kind of dictates how we operate and how we run, how our metabolism acts. So the more calories we take in, the more we're going to burn, right? It's why people thought being keto was you're burning a ton of fat. Well, you are because you're consuming a lot of fat, right? If you, uh, you know, so in that sense, you, you eat a huge high fat meal. You're going to burn a lot of fat after that meal, but you're also going to store a lot more fat because you had more fat. If you have a lot of carbs in a meal, you're going to burn a lot more carbs. You're probably going to store a lot more carbs too. However, this is the caveat of, of, in the benefit of having a higher carb approach when body composition is a goal, when you're storing carbs, a lot of those carbs are probably going to be stored in muscle cell and glycogen and tissue if you're training hard, but that's a different rant. Um, point being, should your biggest meal of the day be the one out, uh, you eat after lifting? It absolutely can be. Um, but there's, there's also evidence to show it doesn't need to be daily intake is probably more important. And then with the chrononutrition research, it shows that maybe earlier in the day, your, it should be your biggest meal regardless, because that's going to lead to uh, a better circadian rhythm, potentially some different hormonal, uh, positive hormonal adaptations, and then also more calories burned throughout the day. Hello, healthy underscore food and fit. If you could only have one supplement, what would it be? Damn, that's a hard one. Um, this is a toss-up. Um, actually, it's not. I'm going to go with creatine. I was going to say it's a toss-up between uh, fish oil and creatine, mainly because, you know, I'm a huge fan of fish oil. I think that there was, like, the problem with fish oil research is, like, you know, at one point it was like fish oil is going to help your skin, help your joints, help your muscle protein synthesis, help your metabolism. It's going to help uh, neurodegenerative diseases. It's going to help productivity. It's going to help depression. It's going to help cardiovascular disease. And as they start going deeper and deeper and deeper and looking at all these things, they realize like the benefits for a lot of those are very tiny. Um, 
But there is a lot of research that shows high doses of um, fish oil is actually really, really good for your brain. Um, when it comes to preventing neurodegenerative decline, memory, focus, uh, mood, uh literally in some cases kind of fixing, curing depression, anxiety, stress. Um, I love it. So, but here's the deal. I can eat a lot of salmon and I would get that. So because I could just increase my, uh, fatty fish intake, um, I'm probably going to go with creatine because in order for me to get enough creatine to have the benefits of performance, um, also, neurodegenerative decline, memory, IQ increases, um, recovery, strength, all that. I would have to eat a lot of meat to get that, um, which actually isn't a problem either because I could eat a lot of steak and I love steak. So uh, it's a toss-up between those two, but I'd probably go with creatine monohydrate. Everything else I feel like I can get through my food. Everything else I need, I think I can get through my food pretty easily. Um, Alex underscore M underscore Williams 19, how to silence the world around you and find your calling. Man, that is tough. I think uh, I think this goes back to that idea of, of being content with creating space and silent and being sitting in silence. You know, meditating, journaling more, going through uh, meditative practices, journal prompts, reading books, talking to mentors, things like that, where you can really start to hone in on on sitting with yourself, being quiet in your own head, being quiet in your own mind, and really trying to optimize um, your ability to do so, right? Like to sit in silence and just think about yourself, right? Just to think about your life, think about your purpose, your drive, all those kind of things. Um, that's probably what I would, I would say. I mean, how to silence the world around you and find your calling. It's hard, man. You also got to ignore a lot of things. Like I'll be completely transparent with you guys. I ignore a lot of shit, you know, news, media, like I ignore a lot, even like some, like some social media aspects, some things going on, um, with people, I just kind of ignore because, it, you know, at a certain point, it starts to bring you down too. It's like crabs in a bucket. And, and to me, I'm so focused on improving my life and improving the well-being of my family and my team and my members that I want to concern myself first and mo uh, foremost with them and the people inside that circle. And I'm going to ignore a lot of the things outside of that circle as much as I can because the reality is, is the things outside that circle are not going to impact those things enough for them to grow. They're not, the only thing they can do to impact them is actually bring them down. Now, I can't be a clueless dummy living in the world and have no idea what the fuck's going on. So I got to pay somewhat attention and talk to people who do pay attention. But I mean, realistically, if you're in a place of your life where you really need to, you know, figure out what you want to do, like you said, find your calling, quote unquote, man, I think a lot of silencing the world comes down to ignoring a lot of the negative things that are coming in your life, um, ignoring a lot of the noise that's around you, kind of staying in your bubble of your environment and, and really making a list of the priorities and the things that you want to focus on most so that you can ignore um, the things that you don't want to focus on or the things that can be crabs in a bucket and bring you down. Keshav Mudliar, what's your current training look like? Um, I recently just switched it up from a full body program, um, shifted to a power building focus, which is typically my favorite way to train, to be honest with you. Um, upper lower split, so 
I do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, just because it works best in my schedule. Um, occasionally, that is uh, actually starting next week. It might be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It kind of depends on my boxing coach because we're supposed to start boxing this weekend. Um, and then we're going to find a day. So depending on what day he can be here, it's going to dictate my split. But the plan right now is, is four days a week. It is a power building. So I'm focusing on bench squat, deadlift, overhead press with a main focus on my squat and bench press. Those are the two I want to go up the most. Um, so I'm really working on those. And it's, uh, it's a really cool uh, sequencing per session. Uh, and, and this is kind of how power building in the app is. I, I took it to an extreme with this one and, and I'm kind of testing it out before I throw anything in the app uh, for you guys to use. But essentially it's, it's like starting with your heavy compound lift of the day, which is usually going to be between one and five reps. So low rep strength training, it's periodized to build those numbers. I'm doing the same squat bench deadlift for weeks and weeks on end because there's a lot of skill there and you got to build that skill to progress. Uh, then we shift into strength-based accessories. So um, lunges, RDLs, rows, presses, different things that are going to, uh, chin-ups, pull-ups, things that are going to build those compound lifts in the six to eight rep range. So still in that strength zone, but starting to tiptoe on the higher end of the volume spectrum for, for strength work. Um, then we get into isolation work, which is going to start in the, um, eight to 10 and 10 to 12 rep range. And this is where we're doing leg extensions, leg curls, um, more rows, different various impressions, uh, lateral raises, just different things like that. And then I usually have one movement of the day that we're going into like, uh, like anaerobic, a lactic zone, muscular endurance, ton of lactate threshold work where we're going, uh, cyclist squats for 25 reps, or we're doing leg extension superset, which is cyclist squats, or we're doing, um, face poles and rows. And we're doing like heavy rows at like 10 and then 25 to 30 rep face poles for upper back rear delts, like just stupid high rep stuff. Um, and then usually finishing with with something uh, isolation or metabolic based. So we're kind of hitting each spectrum, right? We're hitting that uh, power strength development. Uh, then we're hitting like uh, moderate rep range, still anaerobic, but like accessory isolation, bodybuilding style stuff. And then we're hitting um, that uh, alactic, just super high rep range um, and kind of touching on everything every single session it's a lot of fun you get to lift heavy get a pump um, get a burn we're, we're touching the anaerobic zone we're touching the metabolic zone we're kind of hitting everything um, and it's a lot of fun and then uh, two days a week conditioning right now it's mainly aerobic and then uh, very soon boxing so that'll be either one or two days a week and that will replace one or two of my conditioning sessions while I do the four days a week of lifting um, and then on some of my lifting days I will be adding in some light aerobic work for 20, 30 minutes max if I have the time, just because I am also trying to work on my aerobic capacity and my aerobic system in general. Um, all right, uh, we're going to go to this last question. Uh, this is a cool one. Adri or Adri or Adri underscore Rob. If you had to pick three movements for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? So I would go with a Bulgarian split squat for sure. Um, I think the Bulgarian switch split squat is uh, an unbelievable functional exercise that allows you to seriously overload it. Um, you can tweak the angle or change the positioning, change the, the angle deficit, all that kind of stuff, and you can work more glute, work more quad, kind of work more anything you want, um, and it's very safe. So it's a unilateral pattern, which I'm a huge fan of. You can overload it. You can go high rep. You can do one and a half reps. You can create a deficit for more quad emphasis. You can step out for more glute emphasis. You can kind of do whatever you want with it, and it's just a very safe movement that allows you to build a lot of strength, and you can build muscle. So you can tweak it in so many ways. I just think it's super, super beneficial. Um, 
it's not easy, but I love it. I think Bulgarian split squat is probably the best lower body movement there is, in my opinion, uh, when we talk about overall just good movements. Um, okay, so I would go with that. Um, hmm. Bulgarian split squat. I'm thinking of like what a program would look like if I only had three movements every day. Uh, Bulgarian split squat. Then I would go with... Probably a chest support row. I don't know if you guys see my content. You know I love those. Um, chest support row you can do in so many ways. You can do it with a trap bar, with a straight bar, with a bar with dumbbells. So I have a lot of variations. I can go uh, neutral grip, pronated grip, supinated grip. I can go low elbows for lats. I can go midway for like rhomboid, low trap. I can go high for rear delts and upper traps. I can go low rep, high rep. It's very, very safe. Um, and it puts you in a very good position to functionally overload. So I'm a huge fan of that. I love the chest supported row. Um, I would go with that. And then the last one would probably be a push up, to be honest with you, because you could throw weight on your back and do a good heavy push up and still build some strength. Um, I, I know like I, I'm way less likely to have shoulder issues from overloading presses with a push up too. Um, I can change the angle and work more shoulders. I can change the grip and work more triceps. I can go wide and work more chest. I can go close and work a little more everything. I can use grips or handles to go neutral grip. I can create a deficit by putting my hands on something. I can put my feet on a box or a wall, uh, change the angle. You can do explosive push-ups. Like there's just, you can do one and a half. You can do, and there's just so much you can do with push-ups. So I'd probably, if I had to pick three movements and that was my program, I would go Bulgarian split squat, uh, chest support row and push-up. Um, and I could easily do that three times a week as a program, do five sets of each or something, five to six sets of each in different rep ranges. And I would probably get really good results, honestly. So Chestboard row, Bulgarian split squat, and push-up. Those are the three movements I would choose and I would only do for the rest of my life and exactly why I would do it. Uh, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Q&A. As always, I appreciate you. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Send this to a friend or post it on your story and tag me so I can thank you and share it on my end too. And I will catch you next time.